Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Playing Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Anne Erica Whitebird. She's an enrolled member of the Shinjangu Lakota Nation, Rosebud Sioux Tribe. She has a bachelor's degree in English, creative writing from the University of Colorado at Boulder, and she has published poetry in various online platforms and anthologies. Her artwork is part of a permanent collection at the Denver Art Museum. One of her pieces travels in a permanent collection with the Center for American Indian Research and Native Studies, CARNS, in an exhibition called Emergence. She believes her most valuable contribution to the beauty of this world are her two children, Josh and Osina. And Erica is from St. Francis, South Dakota, but as she says, sets up her teepee in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where she resides with her two children and a four-legged barking addition named Brownie Bear. What makes Anne Erica so interesting, I think, is her candor and her, her intentional focus on her work, uh, the messaging within her work, which was absolutely beautiful. And as you will hear, um, she actually challenges uh, some of my questions that I pose and is able to give back really in-depth, well-thought-out statements and narratives within the things that she has to say, which I was completely, um, I think, just honored that she was able to uh, express herself in the way that she did. Uh, So with that said, let's jump into this interview with Anne Erica Whitebird. Erica Wiper, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's really an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much for, for thinking of me and inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, would you be able to introduce yourself? Uh, tell us about your background and where you're from. Uh, my name is Dan Erica Whitebird. Um, I'm Sichanku Lakota. I'm originally from Rosebud, South Dakota. Um, my family is from Spring Creek originally and then moved up to St. Francis. Um, and I am a mother and an artist and, um, and that, that's kind of, that kind of, I feel like sums me up. (laughs) So I think when, um, we first crossed paths uh, was a couple of years ago. Um, there was an exhibition at the Plains Art Museum uh, called Wasmo Bisizi. I, I know I'm, I'm not um, uh, Anishinaabe, so the, the language isn't, uh, uh, per- I, I can't speak uh, <laughs> the language. So I, I apologize for um, to the listener for uh, not pronouncing it correctly. Um, but you were a part of that show and um we spoke a little bit, I think, uh, about uh, a piece that you had in in that exhibition, and I think that's that's when we first um, crossed paths. Now you're you're an artist, uh, you're a poet as well, from what I understand. Would you be able to talk a little bit um, about that that process or um, some of the work that you do? In terms of poetry, I've I've been writing. So my so going to my background just in terms of my family. Um, my mother was an English teacher. My father um, 
he taught Lakota for, for some years. So the language of expression, whatever language you're using, um, I was raised in that. So I've been writing since I was really young um, and really connected to just that kind of expression. So that really is my first love. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, right now I'm writing short stories, but it, it's just something that when, when I'm moved by something or I'm struggling with something and it really came out of struggle, when I'm struggling with something, that is when I'm writing poetry or when I'm feeling something really strongly, if I'm, if it's love or if it's my, my children, or if it's a, a situation that happened that I'm trying to process, um, dealing with racist um, incidents uh, and trying to like find a place to put that. I've utilized poetry and I've utilized short stories in order to move forward from those kind of things or to understand it in my body. Um, because I think especially as native people, we experience things not just what we're experiencing physically, what we're dealing with mentally, but also in our physical body. So for me, the act of writing and putting the words down is is part of feeling that and understanding it. And sometimes <clears throat> when it comes to harder feelings, bigger feelings, bigger situations, things I have no control over, then it it puts it in a place for me. And it's down on the paper. It's something that I can... I can look at or I can let go. I wanted to ask you about um, who your your biggest influences are uh, from from the past, uh, even today. Who who would those be, or what are your uh, biggest influences as well? I did listen to previous podcasts and I heard people name names. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did look them up. So. I don't have influences in terms of this writer or this artist. I really utilize and creating things, whether it's art or whether it's something written, poetry, short um, short stories, is coming just from living, from living life and from experiencing daily things and, and looking back. And so I don't have influences like this person, this artist, this writer. And if I do, <clears throat> I mean, of course I do, but if, I, if I'm if i naming names, it's literally the people that I'm, I'm in contact with on a daily or, you know, on a regular basis that's in my life. Mm-hmm. Those people, those artists, those writers um, that are my personal friends, those are the people that are influencing me. But in terms of the reason why or the push to create, the push to write, it comes from my daily experiences or how I grew up, or the things that I struggle with, um, it comes from that. It It's not like um, this, this one individual. Although in looking at other people's art, you know, Indian markets coming up next weekend, in looking at other people's art, I am influenced, you know, and I am inspired, and I am moved. And our, just our art as Native people whether we're Lakota or wherever we come from is really powerful to me. And even if it's done for the sake of beauty, for the sake of making money, for the sake of um, just any kind of self-expression, I just, I find it so inspiring because I think our people are just 
genius. (laughs) 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 I think our people are just genius. And I think that we don't recognize that because of the other things that we deal with in life. Um, Just living in this time, in this space um, where we're, there's so few of us, you know, there's so few of us, if we're leaving our reservation, um, I'm, I'm in the Southwest, I'm in Santa Fe. I don't see a lot of my own people. I don't, uh, my, you know, my friends that are Northern Plains, I really treasure because we have a certain kind of understanding and a certain kind of experience that's different. Um, and a certain kind of connection. So, um, what was your question? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. So am I answering it? <laughs> you, no, you are. And it's great. Uh, the, the question was, uh, who are your biggest influences? Um, I had just spoken to somebody the other day um, uh, on a future upcoming episode. And she she had changed the question or the, the, the set of answers on not so much who is her biggest influences, but what or, or where. And so she she described the land and the places that she is from, which was what I thought it was wonderful. And it was a different way of answering that question. And it really got my mind thinking about how I want to approach this question. I unfortunately do not have the time and the space so much to be experiencing the land, which is so very different from living in South Dakota and so very different from what I've experienced in my entire life. And just, I remember when, um, my kids and I first were hiking around here and I was like, look at this bug. (laughs) And it was like a little red puff, this tiny little red puff on the ground. And, um, and we're hiking around and, and I really, really value that those experiences of just being on the land and looking at the differences in the way the earth looks and the way the rocks are and the way the animals or lack of, I never see squirrels here, you know, and I grew up with squirrels. <laughs> and, and so it's so weird. I'm like, where are the squirrels? And I don't get mosquito bites here. And where are the mosquitoes? <laughs> because I'm in the desert, you know? And so I went home recently. I was home last week and I got mosquito bites and chigger bites just hanging out outside at my friend's house. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, so, so the land is really important and it's, and it's, um, but it's not, I think for myself, because I'm working full-time, I'm what you would call a practical artist. I work a full-time job and I want benefits for myself and my kids. And I want a steady income for my, and I have to, you know, have to feed us and whatever. So I, I don't, I'm inside working in an office and I'm, the time I take to be outside is really beautiful to me, but it's different than when I went home and, you know, I was at a a ceremony in the evening time and I saw the stars and, you know, we don't all get to experience that. I don't. And I treasure that. And I value, you know, just the knowledge that I live on another tribe's land, this land base, you know, this isn't where my people came um, to live. And so when I'm here, you know, there's an acknowledgement just in my body and my understanding that this is not where I come from. I'm on another person, you know, another tribe, another nation. I hate using tribe because I feel like it minimizes who we are, but another nation's land base. I, I am, I'm a visitor here and I'm always aware of that. And I always make sure to say that so that non-Indians also, are aware that this is not your land base this is not my land base this Mm -hmm. is not you know I'm a visitor and so I'm I feel like that that's just something that I carry with me 
No, I think that's great. It, it acknowledges the the sovereignty of the people that are there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the sure. Pueblos, they're very different, you know, from, from us. They're very different from each other. Um, the Diné people, um, that's how I ended up down here is my best friend is Diné. And we've been friends since we were teenagers. And so mm. her family is my family. And I, re- I really treasured and valued that, that relationship. Um, so when I've been invited um, or taken part in um, different things going on with her family, they introduced me as their daughter. And so I've been really, really um, lucky to have that experience of being part of um, her family here in the Southwest. So I'm not just completely, you know, solo, <laughs> this lone wolf <laughs> down here. Um, I'm, I'm protected in that way and I'm loved in that way. And I am valued in that way of just being, you know, um, family here. So, so it's, it, you know, it's different than the land, like I said, because on, on the 24 seven, um, with that, with the exception of the weekends, you know, I'm, I'm in this, you know, in the nine to five or eight to five thirty. In, in my case, I'm in that, you know, hauling kids to school and, and doing that. And then finding the time in the evening, um, to work on things, to express myself, to, uh, just to find that inner movement. Cause that's what, what your art is, is the inner movement, ex- the expression of that, you know, outwardly. I think too, uh, finding that energy after a long day at work and, and trying to refocus that and trying to be productive in the evening. Oh yeah, completely. And there's times, you know, like the other, so I was home for a week and then I, I came back and I really, I really was sitting here. Um, and I thought, what am I doing in Santa Fe? You know, what am I doing here? And I, I miss, I'm missing out. And, you know, there's all that there's always, you know, you, if you if you're back home, then you're missing out. Really, honestly, on opportunities, it, which is, it, it's sad that we don't have that same amount of opportunity. But if you're then here and you have the opportunities, and you're missing out on the connections, you're missing out on the the dances, you know, powwows and ceremonies. Although you know, with COVID, um, obviously that's just been shut down. But so I was sitting here, and um, one of my relatives sent me um, a recording, and of songs and so I was sitting here thinking you know it was evening and I was like I have I have projects and I have things I'm working on and and oh man my heart is just feeling lonely and so I I listened I opened up the app or whatever I can't remember what format he sent it but I opened it from my phone and I started listening and so I was just started singing and and then my kids I was interrupting whatever they were doing on the computers they told me we're gonna go downstairs now mom (laughs) I was like why (laughs) you know because I felt like we're all here together I'm singing you guys are on the computer (laughs) you know it's all good and my son hugged me and he's like we're just gonna give you some time okay (laughs) oh that's so sweet (laughs) well I don't I think they were they were like I was interrupting whatever they were doing on the computer but but then, you know, I took that time and I sang and, you know, there was 45 minutes of recording that was sent to me and I, I had like 30 minutes and then I had to put the kids to bed. So I was sitting there singing and, and then I, I, I was done. I was looking at the time of these kids need to go to bed. Everybody has school and work. And then I made it right in my body, like with the songs. And so I think 
part of being a working artist, which I know a lot of people are also what might, I come from a family of practical artists. We've always had our art, you know, art shows. And my mother was a sculptor and a painter. And um, my, my grandma who passed recently, she was um, a painter. So I have a ton of her paintings in my house now after she passed and, um, and she had her art shows, but she, she worked, you know, and, and my, um, my, so here I'm bragging. <laughs> here I'm bragging. I'm really proud of my family though. Yes. Um, yes. On my dad's side, you know, my, my grandpa was a pipe maker and my grandma um, did quill work and, and they were known for what they did. And so my brother that passed, uh, four years ago, he was a really phenomenal quill worker. And that's what I'm trying to pick up for, for honoring him, for honoring his life and the hard things that he went through. And it's just um, to do that because he always wanted me to. And, you know, I told him, Shane, you're the quill worker and uh, I'm, I'm the beater. <laughs> and like, that's that. And <clears throat> so I think that as a working artist, or even just as an artist, period, you know, you have you can't just push through. Um, and I know people do, but I can't, I'm, I'm not built that way to just push through, push through, push through. And so I think that it's also important to be gentle with yourself and say, if there's something that's in the way, you know, um, look at it, mm -hmm. deal with it, and then take that time with it and then move forward. Cause uh, you know, honestly, after that, I just, I could not believe how much better I felt. And I, and it was different. I was different just from, you know, my relative sending me that and me singing and then putting my kids to bed. And I, I mean, I could have tried to push through on some quill work and that was what I had planned to do, but, um, I didn't like that feeling, you know, I didn't want that feeling. And, and so I, I worked with it and then, okay, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here in Santa Fe, you know, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm supposed to be at this point in time, because if, I weren't then I wouldn't be here and mm. um that that's part of you know being an artist I think in the way that I am an artist and everybody's an artist in their own way um you know we're all different and and I think that it's important to recognize you know what works for you what you have to do what you need to do as an artist as a writer as a anybody that's doing anything in Indian country um I think that it's important to say what it what is it that works for me because it's not the same for everyone. Yeah, I agree. I think um, if you're not feeling it, it, it affects the work. Um, and sometimes then it, it, it sabotages the, the, the progress of the, of the work and your time. Well, and I don't even know if that's true. Cause you know, because Indian market's coming up and, oh my gosh, people are just burning the midnight oil right now. Um, and they're hustling to get work out and it's, you know, it's the best time to have your inventory. I just think it, 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 it doesn't always affect the work, but I think it always affects you. Mm. It always affects you. And so in just in that respect, um, even if you are burning the midnight oil to get something done, you know, and you can't take the time, you know, but you know, you can always take a little time. <laughs> we always find a little time on our phones, right? Like throughout the day, every day. <laughs> True. <laughs> that means we can absolutely find other time for other things. 
Very true. How have you developed your your career, uh, college, post college? Um, so my so college was was writing. My background is in writing. Okay. Um, and and creative writing actually, but but I work in a legal field, and so I do legal writing. Um, I've worked in the legal field for a lot of years, but also, you know, I wrote back home and um, had Lakota voice. And so I, I wrote, had a website and I attended um, all the meetings that I wrote about. I never wrote about anything I didn't attend. And I never wrote about anything I didn't have proof of um, when it came down to people wanting to expose certain situations that are happening on our reservation. And I did that because I wanted to I, I felt like if we look, if we can see what's going on on our reservation, we can see what's going on um, with our monies, we can see what's going on with our leadership. Well, we have to know what's going on before we know how do we change this or what do we change? Um, and the people have to be informed. So that writing, um, for me, everything's been, for lack of a better word, organic. Um, in terms of a quote unquote career in my art or in my writing, I haven't used it as a moneymaker. I've used it as a, a means of expression and a means of helping and without realizing, and this is really coming out of a conversation I had last night um, with another artist when we were talking about money-making and we we're talking about our journey and you know people coming into Santa Fe um, because this is really a, a a really beautiful place to have your art, your work, your voice, your vision promoted. It's a really beautiful place for that. And it's also a really beautiful place for artists to support each other because they do. And so, um, but I, but we were visiting about whether, what if your art just, cause what if your art just doesn't make money? What if you're, what if you're not in it to make money off your art, you know? And, and I'm, being a practical artist, I don't have to do that. I can make it where, as I see a lack, I can fill a space. And so when I was back home, there was a lack in information being given to everyday tribal members, uh, a lack of any information coming out of our tribal building. So I started to show up at the meetings. Um, I was working part-time at Cinte, um, teaching English. And then, um, you know, my children were still really young and, my youngest was in Head Start. So I had, you know, half, you know, the day, the day, the amount of the day that he was working, uh, that he was in school, then I could work. And then, you know, I could also attend meetings. We only had three mandatory meetings that happened per month. So I could, I could take the time in, in the lack that I saw because I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I didn't have the time between, you know, eight to five that I was, grinding i had that time to say what's going on here and what's going on there what are people saying here what are people saying there where do i fit where does my talent where does my talent where does my art where does my heart fit um where does my fire fit because i'm a pretty fiery person um and where does that fit then i'm not afraid you know i'm not afraid to to speak i'm not afraid to stand up and so I did that at that time. And so in terms of like, quote unquote, developing a career, um, I wouldn't say the career is the art. I would say it's like um, the, the art and the expression is just a way that I live my life. So granted, I have to make money to pay the bills and feed the kids, but 
I also get to use what comes through me from my family on both sides. I get to use that creativity, that vision, um, that openness that I have that comes from the way I was created, you know, just to be an artist. And it's not, it's not something that I, I chose it's part of who I am, you know, just like being a woman, being a Lakota, just part of who I am. It's just another part of me. And so in the career aspect of it, I just move where there's an opening, I guess, you know, in terms of um, what, what offers I get for creating art, you know, like the, the dress you mentioned. Um, <clears throat> that was just, people reach out to me and ask me to be part of these exhibitions and I get to imagine something whether or not I think it's going to sell to Washichi people it doesn't have to even be something they like it doesn't have to it, it's for us so I get to be an artist that creates art for us and if it sells it sells and if it doesn't it doesn't um because I'm a practical artist, so I, I can do controversial art. <laughs> and if it gets shipped back to me because nobody wanted it, so be it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it addressed a situation or it, it addressed something. Um, and it wasn't for the sake of selling it. It's for the sake of expressing where I'm at or where we're at or... Uh, a picture I have in my head that needs to get out on the page or needs to get out in a physical form of something I'm creating. And this does bring us to that question about how do you seek opportunities or how have opportunities presented themselves to you? I've really been blessed from the time I was in college. I was a non-traditional college student. So I was uh, with my kids as dad at the time and we both went to college together and kind of help, helped each other through that. Um, it's a really difficult process, I think, without support. Um, and so, so having the support of each other was really important. And at that time, as a non-traditional student, you know, I'd already been in the workforce. I'd already been working in the legal field. And so I already had some connections um, <clears throat> based on that. And so people then, so I wasn't just this young out of high school, you know, um, in college, uh, not knowing, you know, just trying to do the work and get the grades. Um, so in that respect, people knew me. And then once I started, you know, my knew my writing and, and I would do um, poetry. At that time I went to college at CU Boulder. So I do poetry. They had different poetry things happening in the city in Denver. And I would participate in that. And so people got to know me just based on, you know, I have things to say. <laughs> I have things to say. <laughs> You're going to listen. And so um, even when my daughter was born, I was talking about, there's this woman that she's passed away since, but she um, was the person that you talked to at the Denver Art Museum um, regarding, you know, pr pretty much anything. And and so I went to her by email and and asked to see our cradle boards, our traditional cradle boards that they housed because I hadn't seen people using those on a reservation or in South Dakota. Um, it's so rare to see someone with a cradle board and I wanted to create a functional cradle board for my daughter. 
And so I reached out to her and she, she was like, who are you? And what, who are you with? And I wasn't with anybody. I was just with myself, you know, mm. wanting to create this. So I kind of got sassy about the whole thing because, you know, those are quote unquote artifacts. They're ours. So I wrote that in an email that, you know, you all are housing our pieces and who knows how you got them. Um, but they're ours. And so I'm requesting this as a Lakota, as a, a member of my nation, I'm requesting this. Um, I'm here at the time I was in Boulder. And, and so I'm requesting this. And I didn't think she was going to let me see them because, you know, I got sassy and it's not even really getting sassy, but I'm not being, um, I'm being very real about what the hell I want and what I think of the museum, because it isn't, you, you can't say that all of those things were gotten by them uh, legitimately. Oh, absolutely. Even half of it was, right? Some of it was probably stolen and, you know, or all of it was stolen. Um, so anyway, my point is, um, I, sh I show up, she actually lets me see all of the cradle boards in their collection. So they have what they show and then they have what's in um, behind the scenes. They have what what their inventory or I don't know what, what word they use for it, but they have that. And so she let me see everything that they had in their collection. And, um, and then from there, um, because of that, she said, well, if you finish or if you create that cradle board, let me see it. And that kind of made me mad, you know, if I do, why would I go through all of this with the if, you know, why would I go through all this if I create this? Of course, I'm creating this. So I created the cradle board and I showed her just because <laughs> I, I wanted to say, don't be thinking, you know, if. <laughs> um, and so I showed her. And then based on that, I got an opportunity to be part of, I have my piece, a piece in their permanent collection um, because I, I, was, I got known to them by, by that situation by that interaction and then by showing them, here's my, here's my finished piece, you know, um, here's, here's why you need to be open to us as, as just, you know, people in the community that are asking to see the private collection, here is why. And so I, those are the, it, those are like in the, in the ways, how do opportunities come to me is that if there's something I move to do, I make it known that I need this and, and I show up and I, you know, I am honest about what I think. And I don't always think that gets me places in, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking this is not going to get you what you want, <laughs> but I have to be honest. You know, that's, that's my drive. I have to be honest. And that, that's what guides me is you have to know, this is what's going on. This is real. This is honest. And I'm not going to say things that, make you feel good necessarily unless those things are real you know and so after she um allowed me to look at that private collection take the measurements see everything everything from all the tribes that they had cradle boards from and i got to touch them and i you know the cheyenne and and i come from cheyenne people too although we don't know a lot about that portion um of our family history in terms of the actual families that that are part of our family tree, but I got to see those two. And, and so in that way that, you know, I express myself, um, then I got to be known to the people that are at the Denver Art Museum at that time. And so then when they revamped their whole Native American um, collection and that section, <clears throat> I got to be asked to be part of that. 
and then so that's kind of how it's been with my with my mm, I don't want to say art career with my art in my life um is that I get asked to be part of things people just hear of me somehow and then they'll say hey I heard of you um in terms of in South Dakota uh with the exception of last year I was and that was just because I I just I couldn't find the hard time for it. Um, I was asked to be part of um, Dr. Craig Howe's exhibitions that he does every year um, with Cairns. Um, and I, I, I got asked by him on that, the first one that I think, I think it was the first one that they did. Um, and I, I got an email and I said, how do you, how do you guys know? <laughs> how do you guys know of me? <laughs> you know, I'm out here in the sticks. I was living in, in, um, St. Francis at the time and my kids were little and, you know, I was just hauling kids to Head Start and first kindergarten Head Start. No, my son was still a baby. I was hauling my daughter to Head Start, you know, holding back tears as that little bus came. <laughs> <laughs> And my little tiny girl was, you know, standing there waiting for her tiny bus. <laughs> you know, and here I'm getting this email. Can you be part of this exhibition? And I'm just thinking, how do you guys know of me? Um, so I've just been lucky, I feel like, but also um, unafraid to express myself. And I think that that voice that we have, that inner voice that we shut down a lot of times um, is what makes us who we are. And I think it's important as artists, especially to express yourself. And not everybody, you know, everybody's different. I have artist friends that, that they say they don't want to, they don't want to take any political stance. They don't want to, you know, they don't feel like that's their, their place, their places in creating. Um, and they create beautiful art. And, you know, that's, that's also a, a perspective, you know, um, and I respect that, um, you know, everybody's built so differently and, and we, we approach our, our art so differently. But for people that feel like, you know, there's something I need to say and I'm biting my tongue, say it, do it, stand on that. You know, there's a reason why you're here. And that really leads us to, uh, to the question, uh, what would you want to say to the 18 to 22 year old uh, listening to this conversation? So first of all, I hate that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> it's like, how do I change that question? Hmm. Um, so here's how I'm going to change it. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I made this cradle board and I had it in my head for, for years, for years. I had it in my head and my, my dad was really not supportive of my vision for it, which is none of his business, you know, but I shared it with him and he was like, ah, eh, you know, we don't do cradle boards like that, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'm of a different generation than my father for one. And for two, this image is not something that I created. It's just something that's there. This picture that I have of what, what kind of like what should be. And it's been there. It was there. And, so I got everything I needed to create it. I got the colors of beads and all this. And, um, and then it sat in my, in my workroom for about six months, maybe even a year. And I was with my kids' dad at the time. And he said, you know, if you're not going to do that, you should just put it away. And that really made me mad. <laughs> of course I'm going to do this. And 
but you know, it was a, it was a push to get it done. So I started on it and I had, like I said, already opposition. We don't do it like that, you know, and there's the quote unquote rules, which I think is important to know. I think in terms of what we create traditionally, it's important to know what, what did, where did it start? And what is the reason for making it this way? And then once you learn that, then how do, where is my, um, my heart, my energy, my vision, what's with me, what's within me, what's around me, where is that then going to take this? And that then becomes my art. But in knowing where things come from and why they are and what they are um, and asking and speaking with people and I don't like to call it research, but doing that background work on it, you know, like where I went to the Denver Art Museum and I'm looking and I'm, and I'm talking to people that make cradle boards, um, but also my own use of them with my own children. So then I have a different, um, a different relationship with it than say a man, you know, that makes cradle boards um, because I've had my own children in them. And so anyway, I created this, I started beating this cradle board and it had, it's a story and that's a story that I want to, I want to share. So, um, and hold on, I have it, I, I brought it from downstairs. <laughs> I can't let me grab it. Okay. So the rules about the way the cradle board, there's, you know, there's like the, the rules about the way the designs go, how, how they are uh, repetitive, um, the different ways in which they are repetitive. Those are the quote unquote rules. And then what I did was I did a Cheyenne design on the bottom, which comes from a portion of my family and, and the top is very modern. It's a sunrise, basically just the sun. Um, and so on one side, I did, I beaded the Milky Way and the spirits coming through the Milky Way and how they come through the Big Dipper, what they look like after. And the one side is, it starts out a very dark blue and then it gradually moves to like the way the sky looks as it lightens. And then the spirits, they're white. And then when they come through, they're, they're these different colors. So I drew them as butterflies. And then I beaded them as butterflies and I beaded them as different butterflies. So the story on the other side is the story that I wanna share with people that are um, not just young people, but people also that, that are struggling. And that is, it's, um, so I have a picture on the other side of a buffalo and the buffalo not, not only represents the mother because then I have four buffalo in front of her moving forward. The buffalo also represents Wakantanka and, and behind the buffalo is a sun and below the buffalo is another sun, the portion of a sun and then below that is the reflection of the sun. And that is the story. And then I also have Bear Butte in here, um, which is our the guidance of our our young people, but also the guidance of ourself, um, ourselves uh, in always returning to where we come from and always returning to our sacred places and and also inside of ourselves. So um, 
the multiple sons is what I want to talk about. And that is the idea. The reason why I did that that way is because we, we, as parents, we have, uh, dreams for our children. We have wants for our children. We have this better life we want to give our children. And yet, you know, we're all in the same world dealing with all these, all of these same things, the racism that we deal with, not so much here where I am now, but definitely where I came from, definitely what I was raised in, definitely what I returned to. And um, that the struggle that that has, and also, you know, only having the land we were put on, not having the beautiful land in the Black Hills to return to, not, not being able to see that, not being able to afford to drive there to spend days to come back you know so so like not having those things there's a lot of things that we don't have because we don't have our land base and so in that the time and the place that we exist right now um which a friend of mine denny gayton he called and i really think this is a beautiful way to put it because it's true we live in a war-torn time he uses that word war-torn and it makes sense then of why we tell our children go to school and and of course everybody knows the story right go to school and get your degrees and come back and help everybody and it doesn't work like that and it doesn't work like that i think because we live in a war-torn time we live in a time of returning to our language of in a in a move and a desire and an energy towards returning to ceremonies but yet nothing else is a return right we're not living in that time we're living in a time where we're always i feel like trying to fight to find our place in it our voice in it our space in it and so in this cradle board that i made um and my daughter will use it in her first child with her first child in this cradle board i made is is a um is a prayer and a want and a push and a desire for not just my daughter and her child one day and not just uh children but us as adults is that there's multiple sons there isn't the one dream the one idea the one thing because in our lives and our lives hopefully are long and we deal with setbacks we deal with deaths we deal with things that we didn't expect to come up and in that, then maybe the dream that we originally had gets changed, or maybe it's a completely different dream, but we have to know there's not just this one son. Like we, maybe you quote unquote fail in something or it doesn't turn out like you imagined. And then, you know, forget about it. Um, this isn't for me or whatever that to avoid that kind of low, that kind of, um, I guess, to set back, but to avoid being in it for too long is an understanding of more, there's multiple sons, there isn't just the one son, there isn't just the one idea, there isn't just the one goal, there's more, and so say you face that dream, and you do it, and it changes in a way that you didn't expect, you didn't plan for, or something comes up and it changes your whole idea of who you are or where you're going, or what you're capable of. Just know that there's more than one sun. There's more than one idea to light the way or to grow you or grow your family or grow your life. That there's, there's more than just the one tiny vision that we have as an individual or as a people. There's more than one sun. And always remember that, that you don't, 
you can just walk away from that sun, from that idea, from that want that you had, maybe it didn't work out and you can make another sun and you can make it beautiful. That's, that's so great. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. And I say that because, you know, I, I went through divorce and, and my whole dream and, the, you know, this is just the reality. My whole dream was, you know, I was going to be that one and stay married and have my children with my husband. And I, I grew up with a single mother and my mother and father were never married and I didn't grow up with my father. And I wanted something different. And so I was going to make that right. So mm -hmm. make that. But, you know, a marriage takes two people mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. and. Um, and we did it for a long time. We were together for 17 years. That's a significant portion of my life as an adult. Mm, absolutely. I have to find another son. And that doesn't mean finding another husband. That means finding another picture of what I want for my life, because I, I never even planned on being married. Um, I always knew I'd have kids, but, you know, I was raised by a single mom and you don't need to be married. That was, you know, that was my understanding, my reality, what I saw, um, you didn't need it. And so I didn't feel like I needed it. And, and now with raising my children and now I'm a single mother again, I mean, you know, a, again, in my family line as a single mother, um, I have, it, it took me some time to, to understand. Um, interestingly, as I was making this cradle board, um, and by the time this was finished, our marriage was pretty much over. And so then that was, uh, a teaching for myself as well, not just something I put for for ne the next generation, but a teaching of myself as well. Is my whole dream was being, you know, married and being with this man and making this life and and this beautiful life. And so now I say, okay, there's still this beautiful life to be made, and there's still this beauty to understand. There's still other sons that just exist that I don't even know about. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't even know about them. But I need to have an understanding myself that there's more than one son. And in, you know, in the making of my life and the creating of goodness for my children and myself, then I say, what is this next, you know, chapter? Uh, I'm a writer. This next chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody uses that. But, but, but also, what is this next vision? Because our minds are so powerful. I tell my kids this, you know, our minds are so powerful. People believe, you know, I used to be a runner and um, I bike now, but people believe, you know, they believe that you couldn't run. Um, and I don't even remember this story, but you couldn't run, you know, a mile under. Oh, the four yeah. The four minute mile rule. Right, yeah. right, right. Yep, yes. Yep. That. And so nobody could run it under four minutes. That was just that. And then one person did. And then everybody did. Yep. We <laughs> done. Right. So our minds are that powerful that I can have this vision in my head for years and I can, and it, it doesn't come from me. That's the thing as an artist is there's so much that comes through you. You're just this, you know, you're just catching things and it's just, what do you, what, what, mm, what do you have the time and the place and the energy and the want to express? But, but this picture in my head of the cradle board I created was just there. And then, and it, and then I made it, I created it. And it didn't even exist in the world as artists, nothing exists and then we make it. And then there it is, it's, and it comes from just our minds. And so our minds are that powerful 
that we can make things be a certain way based on the way that we think about it, the way that we think it, the way we create it in our minds. So how I tell my daughter, because my daughter's an artist as well, um, I tell her, you have this thought and that's where you start. And then you move from there and the and you take your steps from there. She doesn't even need to be guided. You know, I'm half of this, I'm telling her for myself too. Um, you take the steps and you go from there. And, and here's the powerful part though, I tell both my kids is that you can create something, whether it's your art or yourself as an athlete or whatever it is, where your body and your heart and your mind and your spirit are moved, you create that. And it wasn't there until you were here and then until you created it, this is your energy and your power and your space in this world. And it's there for you no matter your age, it's there for you. But when you're young, you have, you know what, this is, this is the thing to tell young people is when you're young, you have so much time so much time and that's the time to write and draw and create and ask questions and ask if you can work with someone who's another artist that you want to learn something from that that's the time that you have and that is beautiful that time where you can be i'm bored i'm bored <laughs> my kids you know i'm bored there's beauty in that because you have that time and that's that's the growing for you for that you don't have as much when you get older the time gets thin it gets to be this thin line but when you're young you just have so much time to create and to imagine just to lay around and look at the stars and daydream and you know awake dream that you don't have when you get older you don't have that same time and I would say to young people is to take the time to imagine your best day and imagine what your best year looks like and imagine what it is that you really want at this time because it can change and it will change and know that there is a part of you that is so powerful you can create those things parts of those things all of those things obviously resources are an issue and you know connections to people and things like that are an issue but once you start doing it, those things come to you. Maybe it takes years. When I first started out beating, um, and I've been in Indian market. Um, I've ran Indian market. I've been in Indian market. Um, I never imagined I could do it. It just seemed like this big, this big thing that, you know, plus it's down here, down South. And so, you know, I'd never even been to market. Um, and so I started out, I hadn't, you know, nothing. And, um, I would tell my relatives, if you give me the beads and you give me the leather, you know, I'll make you some moccasins or, you know, for different things that are, that are needed, I'll make them. And that's how I started. And so it's taken me years um, to have that, um, the, the ability to get the materials that I need, but that's how I started. And it started with me. It didn't start with people saying, Hey, you and Erica, <laughs> um, randomly can you do something for me I would express to people I really want to do this I really want to do that I really want to make moccasins whatever I started out making moccasins because I just think they're beautiful and um, I wanted to make a pair for myself um, and so I started out making moccasins and I did it in exchange simply for the materials and when I would do it for um, my relatives and 
for different friends of them, of theirs. Um, one woman, she's since passed away and this was up on Cheyenne River. I was living on Cheyenne River at the time. And um, she, she was an older woman and I did a fully beaded pair of moccasins. Her son came to me and said, I'll trade you. Um, I'll trade you, I go up to Alaska, you know, and I get these feathers and I'll trade you, you know, some feathers for if you beat my mom a pair of moccasins. And um, I said, okay. And so I spoke to him about her colors and about her life, you know, and I put some, some things in there to reflect that. And then I went over to her house and I gave them to her when they were completely done. And she didn't know that he'd asked me to make those for her. So I go over to her house and she's, um, she's sitting there, she puts them on and she's like a little girl. She kicks her feet out, kicks them back, kicks them out. And every time she kicks them out, she looks at those, <laughs> she looks at those moccasins, you know, and kicks them back and kicks them out, and kicks them back and kicks them out. And she looks at them, kicks them back and, and that was the first pair of fully beaded moccasins that she'd ever had in her life. Mm. And I got to be part of that. And I got to be part of it just because I expressed, you know, what I want to do, even though I couldn't financially afford, you know, the beads and the leather. And that's real. That's real for a lot of us. And so, um, but, you know, you keep moving forward in the little ways in this long life and you make what you need and you make what you have. And Erica, thank you so much for that. Um, is uh, is there anything uh, is there anything that you would like to to leave uh, the conversation with? Wow, <laughs> <laughs> I've never in my life been asked that. So, um, is there anything I want to leave the conversation with? Yes, there is. I just want for us all to remember, myself included, that there is a reason that we're here in this time, in this place. And there is beautiful things that we've been given. And despite the heartaches and despite the hard times, and you know, there's also children that aren't taken care of, um, that are adults now. And, you know, these people are friends of mine. Um, and despite that not having what you would consider you know everybody um, knows as Indian people we're supposed to be all these relatives surrounding us raised by our grandparents um, with this sacred knowledge you know the reality is that there's a lot of in in my family myself um, people that are my friends and they've grown up in struggle and I'm going to get emotional. A lot of our people are in jail. A lot of our people really struggle. And it's okay, you know, because we do, we do live in this war torn time. And it's not where you follow these steps, one, two, three, four, and five, and you get to six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, and we've done it. There's all these different things we have to contend with and all this, you know, this life stuff that comes up and there's this stuff that happened to our ancestors and our relatives and that's real. And yet we're here. 
And we're here to shine that light that we have. And we're here to grow that light that we have. And we're here to look at the goodness because we know the bad. We know the hard things. And we're here to amplify it and to be good to each other. And that's what I want to say. And Erica, thank you so much for your time and for all of this. Deeply, deeply appreciated. And thank you so much for thinking of me because um, I'm honored to be here. This is normally when we do the closeout of the show. And uh, generally what happens within the conversations when we do this, um, sometimes with the guests, we, we kind of carry on conversations. And um, as I've stated in past episodes, we've, we've um, a lot of good stuff is said during these conversations. And it almost never makes the episode uh, because it doesn't fit within the construct of the five questions. Um, we touched on a few things after we were done talking, and I really feel that this next part needs to be included into this series or into this episode. And that's uh, about the dress that she created for the Wasmo Bashizi exhibition from 2019. And I want you to um, just take a few minutes and listen to um, her story surrounding uh, her dress that she included within this exhibition. So um, we, you had mentioned uh, earlier in the interview um, about the, the dress from uh, that was in Wasmo Bashizi. Uh, would you care to talk about, I guess I'm not, I'm not quite sure where you want to go with this discussion. So I'll just turn this over to you. Okay. So first um, I wanted to ask, so you saw it at the Plains Art Museum on display? Yes. Yep. Okay. So I, I, I just wanted to let you know for one was that I wasn't really, sh- I think that the name of the exhibition, I think it was titled dress or something to that effect. And then I think that it changed and I didn't get a chance or, you know, I really am extremely busy. So I didn't get, if I, you know, I didn't get a chance to provide an explanation or anything. Um, but what I, what I was told was that the interpretation of dress or the dress, um, whatever the original title was, cause I, like I said, I think it was changed and I didn't get a chance to see that at any portion of the exhibition just because it's up in North Dakota and, um, a lot of times when I do enter my pieces and I'm asked to create a piece for it, I don't get a chance to see it, uh, you know, in the, in the exhibition, which obviously it's, it's a different um, experience. And I always regret that, but, you know, I'm thankful to be part of it. So anyway, going, going back to that. Um, so that was in 2019. Um, so that was two years ago now. And what, what I created and this is based on the MMIW Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. So I created this piece and, you know, for my own wedding, um, I had a white buckskin wedding dress and I saved it. You know, I, I thought, well, my daughter, she'll get a chance to wear it on her graduation, on her high school graduation. So I'll save it for her. Well, my daughter's taller than me. <laughs> she's she's um she's totally shaped different than I am in her little way and uh, yeah and and she I don't even know if she'd want to wear it so um I knew I wasn't even gonna keep it you know I'm, I'm not 
um, married any longer. And so I, I didn't, I was wondering why I have this and I don't like to have things around my house that I'm not utilizing. They don't have meaning and, and, you know, the space, I don't have a lot of space for extras. So I, I decided to take that dress and use that dress. And I took some time to think about it. And what I did was I took the top part and I did cutouts of a feather. Um, I took an eagle feather and I kind of drew on two different sides, uh, you know, like a cutout of it. And a white buckskin dress is very heavy. So you can't just have big pieces cut out logistically, or you're going to have, you know, it's going to be become misformed in time. So I was really strategic about the cutting of it and about and then I did buffalo tracks um, as well, um, up from the seam up over the shoulder and down again. And, you know, I, I chose the feather and I chose the buffalo tracks is just um, the buffalo is the strength and, um, and the feathers, you know, I mean, it's a visual aesthetic, but also just the feathers as flight. and. So I, I turned the dress inside out and I, um, I reached out to this woman that had been doing a tracking MMIW um, women and had created a database. And my understanding sense is there's been, you know, there's more than one, but at the time when I, when I Googled and I looked, um, looked up who had been affected by this, what women had been um, part of this, been, been missing, been murdered, everything that I was getting was from Canada. And, and then when I reached out, you know, to this woman, she had a whole list. Um, so I turned the dress inside out, I cut those portions out of the dress, turned it inside out. And I started to write the names inside the dress. And um, my, my final piece was the dress hanging with a red light to indicate, I didn't want it to be graphic, but just to indicate the blood, you know? Um, so there's a red light inside that shines out and of, of the cutouts. So the original point was to have it sort of be in a darkened room. And I know that that's, I'm pretty sure that's not how it looked, but um, cause I did see a picture of how it was hanging, but the, but the point of like that red light and um, having it shine through was the portions, you know, Washichi people really, especially are, oh, you know, this, Plains culture and this this beauty and um, and so what I was showing was the reflection of as a woman, you know, the most beautiful um, representation of. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily has to be a white wedding dress, but that's what I had. Um, but a beautiful representation of who we are but then this ugliness that we contend with and this isn't our ugliness this you know us being murdered and us missing and us being you know the this ability to attack us um and get away with it that doesn't come from us and so when i turned the dress inside out and i wrote the names and i was writing the names in there and i didn't know that i would feel it you know and looking up and doing the research i understood um the missing and murdered indigenous women I thought was at the time, I thought it just affected our women between, you know, the ages of teenage to 
our early 20s I, I thought just I just assumed it and then when I was doing the research to add the names to it it's it's all women it's from babies to elderly it's all women and it is so common and I was blown away and I already you know I teach my kids to protect themselves both both my children now uh, my son and my daughter and I teach them you know I mean they can like choke someone out <laughs> I mean it's no joke and I I teach my um my children that you know to to pay attention and especially we're in the city but um with the missing and murdered names the names of these women you know I was putting names of babies names of toddlers names of young women names of middle-aged women names of elderly women on this dress and as I was doing it it was affecting me and I was like oh my gosh in a spiritual way I could just feel this heaviness and I was getting I put it on Facebook that I was creating this and I showed you know some of the steps and what I was doing and as I was doing that different women were reaching out to me and asking me can you add this name and not just women men too can you add this name and, uh, you know, I said, yes, absolutely. And I didn't expect that. I didn't expect, I didn't expect that interaction. And then um, a man from my own reservation, uh, Pat Badhan Jr., um, he reached out and said, can you add my mom's name on there? Well, I actually already had his mom's name, Mona Two Eagle. I already had that on, on the dress. I just didn't know that was his mother. And um, she was murdered when he was two, if I remember correctly. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that about him. And I, I was really, I was really kind of stopped in just um, during that time, you know, and just who, who this is affecting, like, th this is so real. And I just didn't know it. And then during that time, um, uh, another friend of mine, his, his auntie, uh, was killed in um and so I I just I just couldn't believe that this is this pervasive because we don't hear about it you know you it's maybe quickly quickly discussed I don't know you know in covering tribal politics anything that is um on a reservation of course a lot of this happens off a reservation but anything that is on a reservation happening it's going straight to um federal agents to quote unquote, investigate, but the, it isn't being reported either. Not that the people don't know about it, but then if you're looking at through the years, there's nothing that you're, you're going to find. And even now, you know, there's not much you're going to find in terms of the reporting of this happening. And so then um, I put her name on it and other people reached out to me and, and I didn't realize like the, the, the movement in it, in in not just my own life, but in, in other people when I would put this up on social media. And then I sent the, the complete address. I added feathers to the front and the back, turkey feathers, because um, that's, you know, I just utilize what I have on hand. And, um, and so I added these turkey feathers and I put, um, you know, because this affects all of us, which I did not know, I put, you know, um, mother and then I put Ina and then I you know I, I added mother grandmother um baby and child to these feathers and then I I did like um red paint on them and to to indicate that the attack on our on our women and 
so I sent it up there to to um, North Dakota. I had it shipped up there, and I didn't really hear much about it. And then um, uh, someone that I've worked with in the past, Michael Yellowbird, um, he's just a phenomenal uh, professor. And I don't know where he's at right now, but at, at the time he was taking his class into um, North Dakota from North Dakota State University into the museum to show them that exhibition. And he reached out to me and he said he was taking his class and he's an older man. He said he was taking his class in there to show them the exhibition and he saw his niece's name in there. And her name is Carla Yellowbird. He said, I saw my niece's name in there and I, and I got emotional, had to take a minute and um, thank you for remembering her. And first of all, I have so much respect for him and the work he's done and, and just who he is as a man, as a person. And, and then to have, to know this affected him and his family. And then to know that just my work, this little thing, you know, of, of writing her name down um, was, was something that was good for their family. It was good for him, you know, in the remembering. And <clears throat> um, that was really beautiful for me because of the, the weight, the heaviness of it, of the whole thing, which I didn't expect. Um, it was really eye-opening for me um, to know that this, this is, this is everywhere. And this is, it's been, <clears throat> it's been since probably the beginning, you know, of white contact. And, <clears throat> and, you know, one of the things that our people, people always say, we, we've, um, oh, 500 years, there's always that time frame, right? 500 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've been dealing with this for 500 years, but, but for us, Lakota, you know, we've been on our reservations for less than 150 years. That's not 500 years. And so when we talk about, you know, war-torn culture, we talk about, we, we don't understand why we're unable to, um, to rise in the way that we imagine. Uh, we're not, you know, even though the want is there and the, and the intelligence is there, the heart is there, the spirit is there, but we have this struggle and we're un, we're, we don't know why, right? But we have literally been on reservations for a very, very short time. And this stuff that's happening to our people, to our women, um, you know, and a, a, a very large majority, I feel like, of our men are, are incarcerated. Um, and that's even from just being on the res and reporting and being in these uh, meetings, these community meetings and these meetings in our tribal building, um, there's there's more women showing up here. You know, there's, I'm like, where are all the men? Where are all the men? This is real. Um, this isn't just statistics. This is something that you, you can look at and you can see where are the men. And so um, I think for me that I've been really lucky to be able to see um, and utilize art in a in a way to move things or to change things or to bring awareness to things. Um, I've I feel really blessed in that and that there's a responsibility then. <laughs> there's a responsibility to um, to our people as a Lakota creating 
there's also responsibility to our people and not every artist has that responsibility or feels that responsibility i'm not you know i'm not i'm not saying that i'm just saying like for myself because i i can see things because things move so easily um when i'm creating these things um i have a responsibility so um and that guides me that you know that guides me i um just to give you um, maybe a little more insight, I, I was there that day uh, when uh, Willard had brought his class in. Um, and because I had just started at the museum, um, the when Wasmo Bashizi went up, um, that was my first, uh, literally my first weeks in the museum. So I, I saw that come together. And I think your piece was one of the last pieces that were brought in and uh, the installation and everything. I remember in the evening uh, when we would shut down, um, turn off the lights, you know, or locking up, uh, there, there were a few times where we just left the lights on in the dress because I think it was LED lights that were on the inside there. Yeah. And I wish I would have gotten a picture of that, um, of that dress in the darkness, um, the way it glowed, the way, the way that, that red light had sort of... Um, permeated the dress and was in the space there. It was something extremely special. Um, yeah, but I, I do remember that day that he brought his class in and um, I believe I may have stepped out. Hmm. I, I did get a, mm -hmm. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. I did get a picture of the dress with the light and, and no one purchased it, um, which isn't a surprise. I mean, the point was for me to to show in the most beautiful way I could, but in the most honest way I could. Um, and so I, so I have the dress here and um, I want to, I want to find a place or a space, but you know, everything happens in its own time and I'm never, I, I don't have enough time, <laughs> but um, what I wanted to do was another, uh, to take the bottom of the dress off and replace it with newspaper. Um, and then put requests for the families um, to put their the woman's picture, um, and you know I would take it a picture and print it on black and white and put it among the newspaper as us showing our voice behind that this has happened to the women in our communities, um, and this is the public showing of that and because it isn't you know it isn't not only is it not talked about it's not covered in the news it's not you know when you go through rapid city in south dakota and you see the billboards and some of them will say so and so is missing and it'll be a washichi woman and yet there are all these things that um show the women that are missing right now that have been missing that the, the target uh, of 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 native women um is not it's not even it's it's nothing in the larger society and i i think that it, that's just my way of saying here here our here our, our excuse me um our faces this is this is who these women are this is what these women look like um these are the ages of these women and because i i wondered at first if um people would be upset about having their you know mother's name their niece's name their 
their grandma's name in the dress. I wondered if anybody would be upset about it. Uh, that was a consideration. And then I didn't wonder anymore after, after I was getting these uh, messages and asking if I could add names. So I didn't wonder anymore um, because, you know, I, I personally haven't experienced it. And so, you know, I didn't know how, how families would feel, um, how the family members would feel. And so that, um, that was like, you know, sometimes you get to do a next step. And I think the, the white dress itself seems kind of too beautiful, <laughs> you know, too stereotypical almost um, of, you know, oh, look at, you know, look at these women and their beautiful dresses, you know, and the fringe and whatever. Um, you know, I think it's a little more honoring of the women, but also an expression of this is what we're missing. in as we don't have a voice in a larger society to talk about these things, and this is happening to us as women, this isn't, you know, I've, I've heard, I've heard people say, you know, what, what women need to protect, be, you know, women need to know self-defense and all this as though it's, it, it, as though it's native women's fault yeah. that it's okay to be killed or, you know, to, that there's a person that is doing this, you know, <laughs> this isn't like we need to whatever. And so, although I agree with that, I agree that women should be carrying guns. I agree that women should be carrying knives. I agree that women should protect themselves. I agree 110%. And even with my children, I tell them, um, you have a right to protect yourself. You have a right to fight back and you have to, because this is the world that we've, that we live in now. This isn't the right way. This isn't the good way, but this is the way it is. And so this is how it is. And this is how you have to be. And I do that because I want my children to survive. I want my children to thrive, but first I want my children to survive. And then we also have to be aware of um, in our culture, in our societies, in the larger society of knowing half of our population as a people are targeted. And so then what do we do to help that or what what can we do when it comes up? And, and you know, um, and that's just something to think about. That's just something to think about. The, yeah, um, you know, the messaging. Uh, yeah, it's always been, you know, for um, young women in school, you know, the, the there's always that victim blaming that goes on. Um, yes. But they never tell the young men in school. And I, I was never told this by an adult, but they should be telling the boys, don't rape, don't be a predator. Don't let your buddies do this. You know, that doesn't get said. It, it's sort of the unspoken uh, topic. You know, I mean, they, they talk about uh, sexual assault to a degree, but it's never addressed to the, the, the males to don't do this stuff like that. That's never said, you know, they, they said, they, they tell young women to protect themselves and, um, and whatnot, which they, they should, but it's not, it's something that's, that's never addressed to young men in schools. Right. No, it isn't. And in fact, you know, I someone in my own family was saying, well, you know, women just need to fight back. And I said, you know, when I was creating the dress, um, shortly after my friend's aunt was murdered. Um, and it was 
in this situation, it was her boyfriend that did it. Mm. And she was very much a fighter. And he had to be seen at the hospital for his wounds. But that didn't stop it. You know, she definitely fought back. And she wasn't a woman to be trifled with. It mm-hmm. still happened to her. So my point is, is that, um, is that there has to be, you know, I mean, for us, for, for women and for what I tell them and, and children too, you know, and what I say is um, to my kids and, you know, just in speaking about it is that we have to, we do have to protect ourselves though. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and this is, uh, if every time a woman was attacked or, um, or, you know, someone tried to assault a native woman and they were like, damn, those women are packing all the time. <laughs> and this guy got shot, you know, that would be a thing because we can't rely on the police in these situations. You know, obviously um, down on Rapid Creek um, ever since, as long as I've known, as long as I've been aware, there's always drownings in the creek and it's, you know, four inches of water or something, right? And you think there's there's there is a serial killer there. There's a there maybe one or multiple predators, and that's their their focus is to focus on native people. And they can because law enforcement doesn't care. Law enforcement is if it's an Indian life, then it's not worth anything. And so we have to then care. We have to then acknowledge this really is what we live within. This really is what we live within. And so we create our own protections. We create, you know, we, and, and they right now have um, a group that patrols the creek and that is amazing. And what we, what we need to do is that we have to then, and that's when I talk about like us coming together and saying, you know, take care of each other. We have to be good to each other, be positive and see good things about each other because um, we are the only ones that can do that. We are the only ones that can make these changes. And we are, you know, existing without our land base, um, with what is rightfully ours, uh, we have to then work together to find find our our next path. Or you know, I mean, I know that sounds kind of um, cliche, but you know, it's it the only way we're going to do it is together. The only way we're going to make these changes is together. That that's the only way we can do it. Thank you for that. That's yeah, it's so important to to be able to, to include this in this conversation. Um, even in my own family, you know, we have uh, murdered relatives, I have murdered cousins that were just never significantly investigated. That's heartbreaking. And, uh, you know, half of the, the problem too, is everyone whispers the names, you know, and mm-hmm. either it's, there's no investigations, or, um you know, part of it too is the chaopy, you know, it's, it's like, well, let's, let's, I don't know. I don't have answers. I don't have answers, but you know, well, and we, and, and we can't because we're not the ones murdering. <laughs> we're not the ones talking, you know, I mean, and, and not that it doesn't happen within our own communities. So maybe sometimes we are, but just the allowance of, you know, these lives are disposable lives. That's basically mm-hmm. the message. And that message um, is something like so, you know that that was the point of the dress was to counter that message. No, these are these are these are lives cut short. These are lives of women that are loved. These are lives of women that should have been loved. These are lives of your mother, and you know th- this is real. And and so 
the point of that, you know, in terms of art and art creating movement or conversation or awareness, or I mean, there has to be more than awareness, which is, you know, then the move to their patrolling Rapid Creek. Yeah. Um, that is so positive and so needed that yeah. our people feel empowered to say, okay, we're unable to have you see value in us, you know, outside of beauty, outside of the powwow, outside of whatever you want. But the larger society's un- inability to see value in us, then we have to we have to see it in ourselves. And that has that you know, like I said, talking about working together, we have to work together to to acknowledge that in each other, to see it in ourselves, and then to protect each other, mm-hmm. protect each other. So, I think that really beautiful things come from from what we can create in our minds. Really beautiful things can come. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Ann Erica again for her time and sharing her story with us. It was really great, and I deeply appreciated being able to uh, sit down with her and be able to speak about uh, her poetry and her art and to understand uh, where she comes from with this. And, that, and it was a, I mean, in the long, big scheme of things, it was a short conversation. Um, but one absolutely worth having and I hope to continue to have uh, looking forward and one I hope we all will be able to have moving forward um, her her directness her candor and her intellectual prowess uh, being able to speak about uh, the things that are within our community and especially this last part with MMIW and MMIP where you know we as a community, as an indigenous community, we need to really be taking bigger steps, more working with our allies to be able to bring the issue of our missing family members, our missing relatives to the forthright of law enforcement and public officials and to find those allies, to make those allies so we can bring our family home. And so it's conversations like these that I hope lead to inspired individuals to be able to step up and to see what they can do as well and so yes so um you know this was i generally say and i had a lot of fun on this 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 interview but i'm also honored and humbled to be able to to spend time online uh with Anne erica and i hope uh i hope we get to do this uh, again in the future the near future I also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists, on Instagram, Twitter, Plains Art website. There you'll see this programming, past videos, and these podcasts. If you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview, please find us on the Facebook page and mystery really like to hear from you. All right, that's it. We'll see you next week. This has been an 11 Warrior Arts production.